This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. So, the Mueller report. There's not much in here that we didn't know. Right. I mean, the most amazing part is the plain sight piece of this. I have been talking to Slate's Dahlia Lithwick about the Mueller report for months. If today were the day that we started indicting the Michael Flynn's and the Michael Cohen's and, you know, all the stuff that had happened. Then it would be a bombshell. We'd be like, oh, my God, they're indicting his campaign. Um, But because those people that all happened and sort of had this slow roll, um, there's a way in which we saw much of this. I mean, there were a couple of new details here, like the story of what happened when President Trump first learned Robert Mueller was going to be investigating his administration. Trump reportedly slumped down in his chair and said, oh, my God, this is terrible. This is the end of my presidency. I'm fucked. But that story isn't what caught Dahlia's attention. What gobsmacked me was the disparity between Bill Barr's construction of events and then an hour later unspooling this document that absolutely doesn't exculpate, doesn't exonerate. And also... Hold on a second, because here comes the Attorney General of the United States. Uh, We see him walking up to the microphone right now. He'll have an opening statement. Dahlia is talking about the press conference Attorney General Bill Barr had just before posting Mueller's report. For a half hour, Barr defended the president. He even embraced Trump's language that Robert Mueller had found no collusion. The special counsel found no collusion by any... After finding no underlying collusion with Russia, there was no evidence of the Trump campaign collusion with the Russian government's hacking. Then, when a reporter asked the attorney general if he was protecting the president, Barr basically just ignored her. So what do you say to people on both sides of the aisle who are concerned that you are trying to protect the president? So on today's show, we're going to do our best to set the spin aside. We're going to just look at what this report says by talking to people who've read it. We've got Slate's entire legal team right here. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, Dahlia, we saw Bill Barr get up on a podium and say, no collusion, no obstruction, basically. But then when you opened up the report, what did it actually say? 
Well, it said, A, there's no such thing as collusion, right? That's one of the it's first It's not a legal thing. Says is, that's not a term of art. We're not going to be using it. We're talking, and we've, you know, talked about that on this show, that when Donald Trump says no collusion, he could be saying, like, no turkey sandwich. Like, it's just a word he keeps saying as though it has some legal force. And then when he says, look, they didn't find a turkey sandwich, therefore I didn't do anything wrong. Like, the fact that Barr over and over again used that word is in a way, being co-opted by Donald Trump's laying out of the legal map here. And that was very strange. Uh, So what Mueller actually found was multiple, numerous uh, attempts by Russia to help out and by people in the campaign to accept that help uh, that doesn't rise, he says, to the level of the kind of criminal conspiracy he's looking for. And so whether it's the campaign finance piece, right, the the um, Trump Tower meeting, or whether it's any number of things that he looked at to try to find a kind of legal hook to say these folks have committed a crime, there's he can't get there. And that's I think what we understood that was in the initial bar summary. And what stood out to me was if you look at that initial bar summary, it does quote from this report, but it leaves off the sentences before. So the quote, I think, is the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government. But right before that, it says this investigation also identified numerous links between the Russian government and the Trump campaign. So if you read the entire report, you're getting a really different picture than what you're hearing from either Bill Barr or from President Trump himself. Yeah, I mean, it's very clear that Barr's version of what I think I said somewhere today that Barr's version of what a conspiracy would be would involve like Don Jr., like sitting on the laps of Russian hackers. Can I ask you a question, though? Yes. Is it fair for us to claim Bill Barr is being hyper political and towing the party line for Trump when maybe that's what any attorney general would do? Like Eric Holder, you don't think that he would have told, oh, my gosh, the look on your face. I I, I mean, the attorney general represents the American people, not the president. He's not the president's lawyer. He represents the Justice Department and the Justice Department follows the law. But is that like the platonic ideal and not how it actually works? Well, I mean, it's yes, in some level, it's the platonic ideal. But this is the Justice Department not simply saying Mueller couldn't make a determination about obstruction And therefore, I did it because that's my job. That's outside of any realm that I, you know, understand. And I think also just getting up and saying things that are materially not true, uh, which he did today, you know, that this is completely exculpatory and that, you know, the president, you know, was the real victim here. I mean, that's not standard Justice Department stuff. I don't even think that getting up and giving a press conference to spin it using the president's own talking points about collusion And using the president's talking points about how he was the victim of this, you know, appalling overreach and how much he cooperated. There can't be obstruction because he cooperated. He wouldn't sit for an interview. But an AG is a political appointee. Well, and that's always been the problem at the Justice Department. And the Justice Department post Watergate put a lot of effort into trying to create a real wall between the Justice Department and uh, uh, the president. And let's remember, Jeff Sessions, again, an unlikely hero, right? The most improbable hero in the world. Like we now have a sense of how much pressure 
he was subject to, to unrecuse himself, didn't do it. Didn't do it. Not just because I think uh, at that point he would have looked ridiculous, but in part didn't do it because the attorney general can't be compromised. And the mere fact that he was taking a position about the integrity and independence of himself as the AG and the Justice Department in this probe and that Bill Barr (laughs) is like less willing to do that. I mean, that's an astounding thing. But I don't think that Bill Barr when he stood up there and said some of the things he said today that were simply not appropriate for him to say as the attorney general, I think that all he did was hurt going forward all of these other probes into Donald Trump. You know, they, they named 14 other probes that are going on. Every one of them is proceeding. And what Bill Barr did today was undermine the independence and integrity of the Justice Department of the Southern District of all of these other probes going forward with the intimation that there was something improper. Or he protected his guy. Well, I think he protected his guy. And I think that, you know, again, if you think about history and you think about the Saturday Night Massacre, like it's clear that you're not the president's personal lawyer and the president's problem. Like the reason he thought he was fucked in the first place is because he really believes that the attorney general works for him and is his personal lawyer and that everybody else in his cabinet works for him and that their loyalty is to him. Dahlia, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. Dahlia Lithwick is Slate's legal correspondent and host of Amicus, the podcast. But what about Mueller's findings? The report that came out yesterday had a couple of parts. The first part investigated whether Russia tried to help get Donald Trump elected. The short answer to that question is yes. But what about collusion? That's what Slate's Jeremy Stahl was looking into, whether the Trump campaign actively collaborated with a foreign country to get Trump into office. Okay, I'm going to start here, which is the day began with Bill Barr getting in front of cameras and talking about how this report found no collusion between President Trump or his campaign and Russia. But then you open this document up and like one of the first things it says is, We didn't look at collusion. Yeah, the whole collusion versus conspiracy thing has been a very confused and confusing part of this for a long time. And I think a lot of that was intentional because, you know, collusion is not a crime, as has been said many, many times. But conspiracy against the United States is a crime. And Barr has been accurate and correct in stating that the Mueller report explicitly says they never found smoking gun evidence that... That crime, the crime of conspiring with Russians to help them infiltrate and affect the 2016 election, occurred. But they sure as heck found a lot of other coordination, collusion, cooperation, whatever you want to call it, adjacent activities. And they've been releasing those slowly in dribs and drabs through their legal filings for the last uh, nearly two years And it's just astonishing to see it all in one place and with additional and fleshed out detail. I mean, your article said it sure looks like Trump's campaign was working with Russia. I mean, why did you say that? The issue is that Paul Manafort, who was the Trump campaign chairman through much of the summer and up until August 2016, we already knew that he had these pre-existing and very deep uh, relations with with this one figure, Konstantin Kilmanik, 
who was uh, connected to Russian intelligence. And Mueller's report goes out to lay out specifically why they say that they thought he was affiliated with Russian intelligence and why that matters. It matters because Manafort was advising his deputy, Rick Gates, to give Kilmanick this polling information, internal polling data that the campaign had compiled. And I know saying all these names in a string makes it sound very, very convoluted, and it is slightly convoluted. But the upshot just is that a figure very close to Vladimir Putin was being given this internal polling data on the instruction of Trump's campaign boss. What Manafort was sharing was was this very precise internal polling data. And he was also giving briefings on the specific states that were considered battleground states. And he, he listed these states in the Midwest, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, in his conversations with this alleged Russian intelligence operative. And ultimately, Mueller wasn't able to prove that it did matter because he wasn't able to prove that that information flowed onward to top Russian officials in a way where it could have been weaponized against the U.S., but it clearly could have been weaponized against the U.S. And the Mueller report concluded that it couldn't determine what the Russians actually did with that data. So that's not a no collusion conclusion. It's a maybe collusion, but we couldn't get the information from the Russians because we were not sourced to do so. And is the argument basically like Manafort isn't the president, so... And we can't quite tell what happened here. So sorry, we just can't bring it over the finish line here. So what they say in the report is just that they had no evidence that Manafort told anyone else in the campaign or the candidate Trump himself that he was working so closely uh, with this alleged Russian intelligence agent who had this connection to this very close Putin ally. And the other thing about Paul Manafort is that it wasn't just that he was the campaign chairman for Trump, but it was that he owed a lot of money to a Russian oligarch, right? That's right. There's there's all these allusions to what sound like John le Carre novel terms about black caviar and uh, what's black caviar? Black caviar is was in an email between Manafort and Kilmanick. What Mueller described as kind of a code word for what Manafort owed people in Russia as he was running the Trump campaign. And this is stuff that we already kind of knew. It's been leaked in dribs and drabs, but it is painted in a very clear narrative way in this report that kind of shows Manafort had these very divided potential motivations at this time and did owe this money and was offering very detailed and precise information that was then being passed on to one of Vladimir Putin's close allies in terms of the oligarchs in Russia. What's laid out in this document, it seems like to me, is just a lot of near misses of conspiracy or collusion. Like there's this other story about how President Trump at the time, candidate Trump, reportedly kept telling his campaign he wanted these Hillary Clinton emails and it set off this kind of domino of folks looking for them and folks trying to reach out to hackers in Russia, but maybe they just couldn't do it. It's really hard because one of Slate's writers, Ben Mathis Lilly, talks about how it seems like there's a quid and 
it seems like there's a quo and the quid being, you know, help with this lifting of sanctions plan and this this plan to recognize the annexation of the Crimea by Russia that Paul Manafort was pushed to work on by these Russian operatives as the same at the same time as he's working on the campaign. And the other side of it is this active effort by Russia to help Donald Trump get elected. But it seems as though Mueller was never able to establish there was an, a meeting of minds in the middle where a conspiracy could be proven. He shows the quid and he shows the quo, but he can't show the the agreement in the middle. And without that, you don't have a criminal conspiracy. Jeremy Stahl, thank you so much for walking me through this. Thank you, Mary. Jeremy Stahl is senior editor of legal coverage for Slate. While Jeremy was paying attention to the election interference portion of the Mueller report, Slate writer Mark Joseph Stern was poring over volume two, Obstruction. The Mueller report is divided up into parts one and two, which are sort of analogous to the Godfather parts one and two, in that they are separate halves of a perfect unified whole, best enjoyed together, but certainly possible to analyze them independently. And I am all ready to talk about obstruction uh, because I actually think it's in some ways the more interesting part of the report. It has a lot of new information, first of all, uh, a lot of very damning information. uh, And this is where Mueller draws, I think, his firmest conclusions. And Mueller basically says here, I think that Trump obstructed justice. I see lots of evidence that Trump obstructed justice, but I am bound by these rules that prevent me from indicting him. So I'm going to kick this over to Congress. But hey, Congress, you should really consider impeachment here because these are serious crimes. So you're saying that even though Mueller didn't prove this connection when it came to coordination with Russia on the campaign, he did present all this evidence that Trump really didn't want anyone to investigate whatever did happen there. Yes, that's exactly right. Well, so give me your best story here. I mean, you've pretty boldly claimed that this report does show obstruction, even though Bob Mueller says it doesn't necessarily. So what's your best evidence? Well, I would first of all contest that Bob Mueller says this report doesn't show obstruction. What Bob Mueller says is that the Office of Legal Counsel does not believe the president can be indicted while he's serving in office. And so Mueller is not going to take all of his evidence and marshal it in support of the obstruction theory. Instead, he says, I'm going to lay it all out. And he actually divides various incidents that are detailed in the report into those those which do raise a reasonable inference of obstruction and those that do not raise a reasonable inference of obstruction. So there are actually multiple incidents that are laid out here, uh, which Mueller runs through and then compares them to the elements of the federal crime of obstruction and says, yes, these do create a reasonable inference of obstruction, but reiterates that I am a special prosecutor. I do not have the power to indict the president uh, for what he did. So were all these incidents public before? 
Not all of them. So we know about Trump trying to quash Comey's investigation into Michael Flynn. Flynn was Trump's national security advisor. He had spoken with the Russian ambassador, then lied about it to FBI agents. When Comey was still the FBI director, Trump cornered him, actually cleared the room and basically demanded uh, that Comey drop the investigation and see his way clear to letting Flynn go. Uh, That is one incident that I think most of us who followed the story are already familiar with. But there are some other parts that we didn't know. So one part that I'm really fascinated by is that after Michael Flynn began cooperating with the special counsel, Trump's personal attorney uh, left Flynn's lawyer a voicemail that said, hey, tell us uh, what you've given the special counsel. Tell us if you're cooperating. Tell us if there's, quote, information that implicates the president, because we really need to know that. It's important for us and for the president. That kind of stuff tiptoes right up to the line of witness tampering. And it certainly provides the kind of corrupt intent that could trigger actual obstruction. Well, you say it tiptoes up to the line of witness tampering. So could it just be that this isn't obstruction? This is obstruct-ish. (laughs) Uh, Yes, that is typically a a decision for prosecutors to make when they're mulling an indictment and then for jurors to make when they're considering a conviction. And I think that a reasonable jury could certainly convict on these facts. But the problem is we're not talking about any old criminal case. We're talking about the president of the United States. And so every time Mueller analyzes one of these incidents, he says, here's how this behavior could fit into the definition of obstruction, I think there is a reasonable inference of obstruction here, but it's not my job to make the decision. And he implies that that's really Congress's job and seems to leave all of this in the hands of Congress because he feels powerless to take that final step and say, yep, it's obstruction and we got to get this guy out of office. Sounds like a punt. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think that a punt is a fair description of what Mueller did here. I I question whether he could have done anything differently. It's tough when you're boxed in by these precedents that would seem to limit your ability to actually go after the guy you're investigating. And Mueller tried the best he could to say in pretty stark terms, this is bad. This is possibly illegal. And this needs to see some follow through in Congress. But he has has these clear institutional concerns that he lays out in his report. And he says, I don't want to take that step. I'm not going to be the one to decide. This is a political decision because I don't have the power to indict the president. But isn't that like his whole power, his whole superpower is he can indict people? Uh, let's see. If you have been listening to too much resistance media, uh, then yes, that is Mueller's superpower. Uh, And certainly Mueller indicted a lot of people very close to the president, people like Paul Manafort, people like Michael Flynn, and charged them with crimes for which they were either convicted or pleaded guilty. That's quite a superpower and one that Mueller wielded very powerfully. But there's a big difference between Paul Manafort and President Donald Trump. We've known 
known that Mueller has such profound institutional respect. He does not want to cross any lines that haven't been crossed before. And so it seems like he did everything he could, again, to raise a red flag for Congress and show just how bad Trump's behavior was, clearly trying to impede and hamper this investigation over and over again. All right, Mark. Thanks for doing it. Always a pleasure. Mark Joseph Stern covers the courts and the law for Slate. All right, that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and it's produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. This show would not be possible without Slate's amazing writers and editors. Thanks to all of you guys. And thank you for listening. You can tell us how we can do everything we do better by sending emails to whatnext at slate.com. We really value your feedback. Happy Friday. Talk to you on Monday.